You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Welcome to Wrestling Is Everything, the podcast about wrestling for people that don't care about wrestling. I'm Tom Nix, and I will be your guide to the crazy world of pro wrestling and how it intersects with literally everything. But let's back up. This is a podcast about wrestling for people that don't care about wrestling? Well, yes. I created this podcast to tell people stories about the world of professional wrestling and how it intersects with everything else in our culture. These stories are about significant moments that happen to take place in wrestling, and significant people who happen to be wrestlers. Whether you watch Monday Night Raw every week, haven't thought about wrestling since the early 80s, or only know who Ric Flair is because of Offset from Migos, you're in the right place. I'm not here to convince you that professional wrestling is the greatest art form on earth, even though I believe that it is. I'm not here to tell you that you'll have fun if you watch a live wrestling show, although I believe that you will. I'm not here to talk about results, or matches, or backstage news. I am here to tell you stories. This show is here to shine some light on some of the wildest, most interesting, and most significant moments in American and international history. They just so happen to also be stories about wrestling. Wrestling goes much deeper than Vince McMahon and the WWE. It goes deeper than baby oil and wrestling tights. Wrestling intersects with every possible interest. During the course of this podcast, we'll hear stories about crime, comedy, national pride, queer rights, women's rights, monsters, politics, and civil rights. And that's where we're going to begin. We're going back to Memphis, Tennessee in 1959, and the man known as Sputnik Monroe. And oh boy, did he piss a lot of people off. Listen to me, people, let me speak to your soul. There's more to Memphis than rock and roll. And there's more to history than what we've been told. This is the story of Sputnik Monroe. Sputnik Monroe was a barrel-chested man. He was a brawler and a grappler with an iron chin. And he'd stoop to chicanery if it would help him win. And he's the last guy you want to offend. Thousands of people paid to see him fight At Ellis Auditorium every Monday night No white folks booed and the black folks cheered He drew money everywhere he appeared Standing on the ground where King stood Standing on the ground where King stood Standing on the ground where King stood On the right side of history Sputnik Monroe 
was born December 18th, 1928, in Dodge City, Kansas. Of course, he wasn't called Sputnik Monroe when he was born. He was called Rocco Monroe de Grazio. And even when he started his wrestling career in 1945, he still wasn't Sputnik Monroe. He started out as Pretty Boy Rock, R-O-C-Q-U-E, because why not? And mostly his uh, early career was spent going to carnivals and fighting with all the local tough guys and beating the crap out of them for money. It wasn't until he started touring the Mid-South and Louisville, Memphis, and those types of towns that he started really playing off of his uh, charming good looks and his flamboyant attitude. He changed his name to Elvis Rock Monroe when a uh, promoter told him he looked like Elvis. He even carried a guitar to the ring that he didn't know how to play, which didn't really matter because normally the other wrestler had taken it from him before he could even play a single chord and use it to hit him over the head. It wasn't until the late 50s that Sputnik Monroe became Sputnik Monroe, and even that was due to circumstance. Sputnik's father had died when he was very young, and he spent most of his early life in the care of his grandparents. In order to get out of the house, he would attend the local wrestling matches at the fairs, and eventually he started wrestling as an escape from that environment. Sputnik never had a problem with charisma, nor making friends, and since he was on the road so often, he made friends with everyone, even the kinds of people that 1950s society would frown on. I'm not sure if you know this, but in the 1950s, the American South was kind of prejudiced. So, one day, when he picked up a black hitchhiker on his way to an arena for a wrestling show, he got his new name. Hanging out with black people never seemed like a bad idea to Sputnik. If someone loved wrestling and making money, he could be their friend, no matter what they looked like. The only people Sputnik didn't like were the people who told him he couldn't do whatever he wanted to do. So imagine the scene, when an elderly white lady saw a man who was currently Rock Monroe walking down the street with his new black hitchhiker friend, their arms over each other's shoulders, smiling and laughing about things only they could know. The stream of obscenities that came out of her mouth didn't offend Rock. If anything, he wanted to hear this old lady get even more upset. And that's why he kissed his black friend on the mouth in front of her. This incensed the old woman so much that she dug as deep as she could to find the only word to explain the indecency and horror of what she was witnessing. You're nothing but a damn Sputnik, she cried out. The term was slang for a commie, communist, and a reference to the newly launched Russian satellite. That was when Rock Monroe realized who he was. He wasn't a carnival tough guy. He wasn't pretty boy Rock, and he sure wasn't Elvis Presley. He was a damn dirty Sputnik, and he was about to make more money, draw more crowds, and change the landscape of American sports more than anyone before him. Let's talk about the man who had just become Sputnik Monroe. He was over six feet tall and weighed 235 pounds. He cut a formidable shape with broad shoulders, a barrel chest, a prominent chin, and large bushy eyebrows that furrowed over deep brown eyes. His most identifiable feature was his tuft of white hair in the middle of his head, a remnant of his time in the military when he was a teenager. It made him stand out in the crowd. Well, that and the flamboyant purple suits he would wear and the diamond-tipped canes he would carry. He had quickly established himself as one of the biggest heels, that is to say, bad guys, in the Memphis territories. He was a Sputnik, after all, wasn't he? His motto was, win if you can, lose if you must, but always 
cheat. His attitude and his flamboyance and his predilection for hanging out with the black community made him draw the ire of virtually every white wrestling fan in Memphis, Tennessee. But he was already becoming a hero to the black community. They welcomed the man who would regularly stick it to the authorities, live his life how he wanted, spend time with who he wanted. And who he chose to spend time with was the black fans of Memphis wrestling. So Memphis, in the 50s, what's that like? Memphis in the 1950s is not the same place that it is today. Sure, there was still blues, barbecue, and Beale Street. But Beale Street wasn't the international tourist attraction that it is today. People didn't come from all over the world to hear blues musicians and eat barbecued pork. It was a place that was exclusively reserved for African Americans. No whites allowed under any circumstances. It was the home of blues bars, juke joints, and Negro cafes. Yes, that's actually what they were called. Yes, 1950s America was actually that racist. In fact, they even had a name for the crime of hanging out in the same place as a black person. That was called Mopery. And you could be fined $25 a very significant amount of money in the 1950s for the crime of being in the same restaurant or bar as someone with a different skin color than you have. And Memphis, just like the rest of the South, was highly segregated. All public performances were separated by black and white. In the Ellis Auditorium, the largest sporting venue in Memphis, there was a dedicated section specifically for the black fans. This was, as was normal during the time, racistly called the Crow's Nest. And it was a very, 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 very tiny balcony that was the only place in the building that black fans of sports could watch. It didn't matter if a thousand people wanted to come, didn't matter if 10,000 people wanted to come. The ticket takers only sold enough tickets to black patrons that would fill the crow's nest. Any additional fans that weren't white were turned away at the door. When Sputnik Monroe performed at the Ellis Auditorium, he would sell that place out. He would sell that place out full of white patrons who hated his guts. And he would sell out the crow's nest full of Memphian black fans who would cheer for him on everything that he did in the ring. He would cheat and the white fans would boo. He would win, and the black fans would cheer. And no matter if they were there to rip his guts out, or to buy him a beer, everyone was there to see Sputnik Monroe. So of course, when it was time to socialize, 
something that Sputnik was really good at, and it came time to drink, something that Sputnik was really, really good at, he chose to do it with the fans that actually wanted to see him win, that liked to see him perform, that overwhelmingly bought his tickets to cheer for him. He went to Beale Street. He went to those juke joints, those blues bars, and those unfortunately titled Negro Cafes to hang out, have a good time, laugh, reminisce, pass out tickets to his shows, to his legions and legions of black fans. And even though Sputnik Monroe was incredibly used to getting booed, jeered, and mocked by white America, this was about to be the first time he got into legal trouble with it. You see, like I told you, there was a law against going to Beale Street and having a good time with someone who didn't look the same as you. That Mopery law, well, Sputnik Monroe ran afoul of it. And one night on Beale Street, he was arrested by two white officers for the crime of being in an establishment with black patrons. And he was taken to court. But Sputnik Monroe was never shy about pissing people off. So he showed up to court. And he showed up to court being represented by a black attorney. Russell B. Sugarman Jr., to be exact. He was the first white person in the entire south of the country to ever hire a black man to represent him in court. It almost seems strange that at one point in this country you could be taken to court by sharing a physical space with someone of a different race than you. This is what happens in 1950s Memphis. I'm going to read an excerpt from the article in the Commercial Appeal that uh, was about this entire incident. Rock M. Bombro, 27, of 1415 Spartan Drive, known in the wrestling world as Sputnik Monroe, was charged with disorderly conduct following his arrest at 12.45 yesterday morning in a Negro cafe at Beale and Hernando, where he was drinking beer. Monroe was represented in court by Russell B. Sugarman Jr., Negro attorney, who ran for the city commission last August. After court, City Judge Bush said it was the first time he can recall that a white man was represented in city court by a Negro attorney. Monroe did not speak in his behalf, but Sugarman argued at length that Monroe had a right to be where he was, that he is a professional wrestler, and he has a lot of Negro fans, and he was simply creating goodwill by visiting Negro cafes and having a glass of beer where he could be seen and talk with the people. That is a quote from an actual newspaper article published in the late 1950s. Somehow, it was newsworthy to write an article about a white man drinking in a black establishment and getting arrested for it. Some crazy times, y'all. Inevitably, Sputnik had to pay the $26 fine for mopery. But, in typical Sputnik fashion, he paid his $26, was released... And that very same night, he went back to Beale Street, and he was arrested again. And then, he paid his $26 fine. And that very same night, he went back to Beale Street again, and got arrested again. He paid his $26 fine, and that very next night, he went back to Beale Street, and got arrested again, and paid his fine. And after about two weeks of this, the Memphis Police Department just simply got tired of picking him up from Beale Street, so they let him stay and drink with his black friends and laugh and reminisce 
and hand out free tickets to his shows. Just like in the wrestling ring, Sputnik Monroe had no problem breaking laws to get his way. Win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. But now the year is 1959, and Sputnik Monroe is about to make his greatest contribution to the world of professional wrestling, and the world as a whole. Yes, this man might have been known for his unforgivable antics in the ring, his streak of blonde hair down the middle of his head. Sputnik Monroe might have told everybody that he was 235 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal, but what was really going to put him on the map was his conscience and his heart. You see, Memphis was in the middle of one of the hottest feuds that it had ever seen in pro wrestling. On one side, you had that damn dirty Sputnik Monroe. On the other side, you had Billy Wicks, an actual Shelby County lawman who stood for everything that was perceived to be right about 1950s America. You couldn't have two more diametrically opposed opponents, and the city of Memphis was enraptured by this feud. In fact, one of their matches in 1959 was held at an outdoor baseball stadium and drew over 17,000 fans. The guest referee was even Rocky Marciano. Yes, that Rocky Marciano. And that event set an attendance record for sports in Memphis, Tennessee that lasted over 40 years. Sputnik Monroe versus Billy Wicks was the hottest ticket in town, and they couldn't turn folks away. Except for the ones that they could. Remember, at the Ellis Auditorium, there was a seating section called the Crow's Nest, where black fans could sit, and only there could they sit. So, in the middle of one of the hottest feuds, in the hottest sport, in the late 1950s, in Memphis, Tennessee... The promoters had to turn away thousands and thousands of black fans that wanted to watch Sputnik Monroe wrestle his arch enemy. And that made Sputnik Monroe pretty upset. Not only was this money not going to the promoter, and then therefore not money coming to him because they were turning so many fans away, these were his friends. These are the people that he drank with, that he canoodled with, that he spent time with, that he shared his passions and stories with. And the people that were taking the tickets told them they couldn't see him perform. And that didn't sit well with old Sputnik. So he did what any great man would do. He did something about it. Now, there's a couple stories about how this all went down. So we'll try to be as fair as we possibly can and not pull the truth too far in one direction. One version of the story goes that Sputnik Monroe simply walked up to the promoter and told him, why are you taking money out of my hands? These people come to pay to see me, and you're telling them they can't be here. So, until you let them in, I'm not going on. The other version, which seems oh so Sputnik, was that he uh, slipped the ticket takers a couple extra dollars to maybe forget that there was such a thing as seating limitations for black folks. And when the crow's nest got significantly oversold, the black audience had nowhere to go but to find seats throughout the rest of the arena. And when that caused a big old stir, well, the promoters went and found Sputnik. 
The promoters, by the way, were Nick Goulas and Roy Welch. They were big-time Memphis wrestling promoters who had put on hundreds and hundreds of shows and put together the Billy wicks Spudrick monroe feud, which drew this record crowd. But when they came to talk to Sputnik about what had been going on, he basically told them that their money's as good as anyone else's money, so you either let them sit wherever they want to sit and enjoy the show they paid to see, or I won't perform tonight. And Sputnik, being the biggest draw in Memphis, Tennessee, man, that made Nick and Roy real nervous. So they did it. They opened up the lower balcony of the Ellis Auditorium to any paying patron. Black people sat next to white people and cheered and jeered and applauded and booed their favorite and least favorite wrestlers. And yeah, things started out a little tense. Things started out a little awkward. But as the matches went on, and the yelling and the cheering and the booing and the jeering intensified, the white patrons found out that the black patrons weren't any different from them. They just wanted to be there for the show. They just wanted to watch wrestling. And so, in 1959, Memphis, Tennessee held the first desegregated sporting event in the South. White fans and black fans allowed to sit together and be just that, fans. And all it took was a single man with the courage and the swagger and the clout to make it happen. It wasn't Elvis Presley who desegregated Memphis. It wasn't Johnny Cash who desegregated the South. That was Spundick Monroe. That was professional wrestling. And after years of hard work, after hundreds of dollars in fines and days in jail, Sputnik Monroe, as though he had an infinity gauntlet, changed the world with a snap of his fingers. And nothing has been the same since. So whatever happened to Sputnik Monroe? Sputnik Monroe was a barrel-chested man. He was a brawler and a grappler with an iron chin. And he'd stoop to chicanery if it would help him win. And he's the last guy you want to offend. Thousands of people paid to see him fight But Ellis Auditorium every Monday night and the white folks booed and the black folks cheered He drew money everywhere he appeared Standing on the ground where King stood Standing on the ground where King stood Standing on the ground where King stood On the right side of history Well, rightfully... Sputnik Monroe became a civil rights icon in Memphis. His boots and his robe are on display, even today, at the Memphis Rock and Soul Museum. A museum set up to display the cultural significance of Memphis, Tennessee throughout the world. Sputnik would have a long, long career in professional wrestling, lasting all the way through the 1970s and beyond. He would wrestle all around the country, leaving behind his Memphis roots to go be a star everywhere he went. However, he did end up returning to the Memphis scene in the early 1970s. He formed a tag team with a young black wrestler named Norvell Austin. They would compete against tag teams of white wrestlers who would be prejudiced, racist pricks, according to their characters. And whenever Sputnik and Norvell would win a match, they would cover their opponents in black paint 
and yell, Black is beautiful, at them. Sure, it was the 70s, and sure, things were a little less racially tense than they were in the 50s, but this tag team gave Sputnik Monroe the popularity that he once had in the 50s when he broke all the rules and became a national hero. Sputnik died in 2006, and the world has largely forgotten about him. But the world needs to be reminded that Sputnik Monroe stood on the ground where King stood, on the right side of history. Standing on the ground where King stood, standing on the ground where King stood, standing on the ground where King stood, on the right side of history, on the right side of history, in Memphis, Tennessee. Listen to me, people, let me speak to your soul. There's more to Memphis than rock and roll. And there's more to history than what we've been told. This is the story of Sputnik Monroe. That was The Ballad of Sputnik Monroe by Otis Gibbs. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Wrestling is Everything. I want to thank Sean Durigger and his Screaming Pods Network for giving this podcast a home. I want to thank Nicholas Reed of How I Became Invisible for our theme song and Alex Spivey for creating our wonderful logo. You can follow me, Tom Nix, on Twitter at TheTomNix. That's T-H-E-T-O-M-N-I-X. You can follow the Wrestling Is Everything podcast on Twitter at TheWisePod. And likewise, if you have any comments that you would like to email us, you can email us at TheWisePod at gmail.com. Please take the time to listen to all of the podcasts in the Screaming Pods family. They're all run by really smart, really hardworking people, and they're definitely worth your time. Leave us a rating, write us a review, it all really helps. You can also buy Screaming Pods merch from our store. There'll shortly be some Wrestling Is Everything stickers available there, maybe some mugs and t-shirts in the future, so keep an eye out. Next time on Wrestling Is Everything... We're going to go a little My Favorite Murder and talk about the true crime aspects of professional wrestling. Cases that were never solved and cases of brutality that happened outside of the ring. I started this podcast because I love professional wrestling and I love storytelling. So hey, why not do both? My hope is that even if you've never watched professional wrestling in your life or think it's a dumb, dumb sport for dumb, dumb people, you can listen to this podcast and say, oh, that was interesting. My goal is to show people that no matter what it is that you're into, at some point in its history, it was professional wrestling. Because wrestling isn't just wrestling. Wrestling is anything you want it to be. Which means that wrestling is everything. See you next time.